Ready to go. Uh, we're in our series in Colossians. <clears throat> and Colossians uh, chapter 3, verses 18 to 21. Yes, yeah, so a short passage today. Uh, but let's hear the word of God. I'm reading from the um, English Standard Version. Wives, uh, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. <clears throat> Children, <clears throat> excuse me. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. <clears throat> Let's ask God for um, help in understanding his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, know that your word is true uh, because you are the author of all of Scripture. It's all breathed out by you. And it's all given to us to uh, teach, rebuke, train and correct. Uh, Father, we pray that uh, you would use this part to uh, equip us, Lord, uh, that, all, that all, every part of our life would reflect uh, the work of Christ in us, uh, that our lives would point others to him. And we ask it in his name. Amen. <clears throat> Do you know there's something very wonderful about things being uh, in order? Uh, for example, uh, for just recently, for the first time since we moved into our house some seven years ago, uh, for the very first time, we have finally uh, put our walk-in wardrobe into order. Uh, seven years it's been. <laughs> And you see, it wasn't just a matter of tidying up a few clothes. Uh, the walk-in wardrobe had everything. Uh, it had our filing cabinet, which um, everything was filed in front of the, the cabinet all that time. Uh, you know, we had camping gear in there, photography equipment, uh, heaps of clothes, and a whole lot of shelves that really became a dumping ground for anything that didn't have a place somewhere else in the house. And so as you can imagine, walking into that room, it would be like walking into chaos. But finally, uh, after seven long years uh, and many hours of solid work, mainly on um, Jasmine's part, uh, all that chaos and all that mess has finally been brought into order. And it is wonderful. Now, in the book of Colossians, at the heart of the message of Colossians, is that God, in Christ, is bringing order to the chaos of all things. Christ is bringing order to all things. The key verse in Colossians, if you just flip back a page to chapter 1, verse 19 to 20, it says, For in him, that is in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile him to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's telling us that the reason Christ came was to put everything back together. Everything that has been distorted and ruined and brought into chaos by sin, Christ is putting back together. Reconciliation. He's bringing peace through his blood. And that order will be completed when he returns but between now and then, the moment you are reconciled to God, 
you are reconciled to others and that brings peace and that brings order to your lives. Uh, Paul tells his readers in chapter 2 verse 5 that he was rejoicing to see, uh, to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And so we see that faith in Christ actually brings order to life. Christ reorders our lives would be a better way of putting it. He brings order to the chaos of life. <clears throat> and the passage that we're looking at today, here in chapter 3, verses 18 to 21, is about an ordered household, that Christ brings order to the household. So the way in which a wife relates to her husband, the way a husband relates to his wife, the way children relate to parents and parents relate to children, that the coming of Christ brings order to even these relationships. <clears throat> See, this passage, it's actually part of a section in Colossians where Paul has been unpacking what it looks like to belong to Christ, what your life will look like if you've been united to Christ. And he now turns to uh, these particular relationships. He's been dealing with relationships in general, but now he turns to the particular ones of marriage and family life. And the fact that Paul has to address marriage and family tells us, or that implies, that often there is not good order in the home, that marriages and families are not immune to the effects of the fall and the chaos that the fall has brought to the world. Uh, marriages and families can be places of terrible chaos. They can be places of brokenness and hurt and frustration. But the coming of Christ redeems even these relationships. Uh, the reordering of the world that Christ has achieved at his, in his death on the cross brings order to these relationships. Uh, it can be experienced in marriage and in the families of believers. Another way to look at this, I've been saying throughout this series in Colossians that Colossians is all about being complete in Christ, that everything we need to know God, everything we need to live life to the full is all given to us in Christ. That also applies to, to marriage and family. All we need to have our homes restored is all ours in Christ. And so the question today is, what kind of order does the work of Christ bring to our homes? How does the work of Christ shape our marriages? How does the work of Christ shape our families? And Paul provides us here with a very brief outline of what it looks like. And when you look at this outline, you, I think the thing that would strike you is uh, how brief it is. Uh, on, on my bookshelf at home, I have a section on marriage and parenting, and it takes up about this much room. Right? Paul gives the Colossians four short sentences on marriage and family. <clears throat> and this brevity, it actually tells us something. It means that what he does say in these sentences must be the most important thing that there is to say about marriage and family. He gives us the essential, the heart of the matter, the, the one thing that we need to be able to live out our life in Christ, in our marriages and in our families. So let's have a look at how these two relationships are reordered by Christ. 
Let's start with marriage. Uh, Verse 18 and 19. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Uh, Now, whenever this section is read out in our culture today, what is everyone thinking about? Probably that word submit. Because in our culture, to hear the Bible tell wives to submit to their husbands is just downright offensive. Uh, when, when people hear that today, they automatically assume that that means inequality, inferiority. It means putting up with oppression. And so without attempting to understand it, many people, even in churches sometimes, dismiss these words as just something that was culturally relevant back then, but no longer applies to us enlightened people today. But see, we can't do that. We can't just dismiss God's word as having no relevance to us because Paul isn't regurgitating the cultural practices of the day. Remember, he's showing us what life in Christ looks like. He's showing us how Christ reorders life into the way that God designed it to flourish. In fact, it's worth pointing out here that the original readers, when they heard this letter read for the first time, they also would have been shocked, but for very different reasons to us. Uh, The thing that would have shocked the original readers in that Roman culture was the fact that Paul was addressing wives at all. Because in that culture in that day, wives were considered more as a possession than a person. And so in that culture, there were all sorts of manuals on Uh, how to conduct yourself as a family, how marriage should work. But those manuals never addressed wives because the mentality back then was, why would you address a wife? She doesn't have an opinion. And so all of the instructions were given only to the husband. There was nothing to say to the wife. And so the fact that Paul actually addresses wives was radical. It was earth-shattering, counter-cultural, because he's treating women as Christ did himself as persons, equal in dignity and value in personhood. And that's also brought out by the instructions that Paul gives to husbands here, which again are complete, were completely unique in the culture of that day. And so rather than thinking, no, no, this is just something from a bygone era that doesn't apply to us, no, no, no we actually need to understand it. What is this saying to us today? What what does it mean when Paul writes, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord? So let's let's unpack it a bit. This word submit, what does submit mean? It means to place yourself under another. Uh, It implies that within a marriage relationship, that although the husband and the wife are equal as image bearers of God, that there is a difference in your roles that husbands are given the role of leader. Wives are given the role of helper. And this, it's actually unpacked a whole lot more in Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5, if you'd like to read it when you get home today, uh, you'll see that Paul is talking about the very same matters, but he gives a whole lot more detail. He unpacks it a whole lot more. Uh, But this idea of a wife being a helper That actually goes all the way back to the beginning, Genesis 2. 
where God made Adam a helper suitable for him. And so what we have here is God's original design for marriage. God's original design uh, was, here, here are two people, equal in status, yet have different complementing roles of leader and helper. And so this is not about whether one is stronger or one is smarter or whether one is better. It has nothing to do with that. But God in his wisdom designed marriage to work with these two complementing roles. That when each role is, being, is fulfilled, marriage works in a harmonious way. And so when Paul writes, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord, he's talking about the willingness of a wife to embrace her husband's leadership. That's what it means. And do you see, when you understand it that way, you suddenly realise, hey, this is not something that's unique to wives. This is something that all of us are called to do in one form or another, to submit to the leaders that God has placed in our lives. Uh, if we had time, we could go through all the places in the Bible where that word submit occurs, and you'll realise that at some point we all fit into that category. For example, here's, here's three examples. In Romans 13.1, citizens are told to submit to governing authorities. See, that's all of us in this room. Uh, church members are to submit to elders, Hebrews 13 verse 17. And every believer is to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 5.24. So we see that God puts certain roles in society, leadership roles, roles that have authority. And he puts those in, in society, in churches, and in the home, and it's so that these social structures can function in a harmonious way. Do you realise that it's actually sin, sin expressed as rebellion, sin expressed as selfishness. That's what distorts these structures, <clears throat> these social structures. That's what, that's what causes so much turmoil at every level of society. See, the very nature of sin, what is sin? Sin is a refusal to submit, a refusal to submit to God. But Jesus came to save us from our sin. He came to save us from our rebellion. He came to create a new heart in us that is willing to submit to God, that loves to submit to God. And so one of the clear effects of Christ living in a believer, one of the, one of the clear expressions of that will be a willingness to submit to the leaders that God has placed in your lives. And for wives, that also includes your husband. Now, notice how in verse 18, Paul adds a little clause. Okay, wives, submit to your husband, and then we have the clause. The clause is, as is fitting in the Lord. And if you remember the wider context of this passage, as we've been looking at it over the weeks, uh, Paul has been describing the lifestyle that fits you as a believer. The lifestyle that fits you as someone who is united to Christ. And so submitting to your husbands is fitting to the Lord. <clears throat> um, but this, this little clause, it also indicates that there's a, a condition 
placed on submission, or a limitation. A limitation, and the limitation is that the wife should only submit to those things that are fitting in the Lord. This is important to think about. You see, if if your husband asks you to do something that is not fitting in the Lord, then you can tell him to go jump with all respect. Because a wife's submission to her husband is always secondary and always comes under submission to Christ himself. So submission to a husband is never at the expense of submission to Christ. And so, you know, if your husband wants you to do something that would disobey Jesus, you don't have to submit to that. For example, if your husband wants you to claim expenses that you didn't have, or if he wants you to, uh, to lie to cover up something, or if he wants you to put up with abuse, you don't have to submit to that. Don't submit to that. In fact, while we're on this, I know this is uncomfortable to talk about, but it has to be said. No woman should ever tolerate an abusive husband, ever. Never. No woman should think that putting up with physical or emotional or sexual abuse is somehow part of what biblical submission involves. It doesn't. And any husband who is doing that is committing a great evil and needs to repent immediately. In fact, it might be useful to point out here, just have a look at verse 18 again, and notice who this command is given to. Notice it's given to the wife and not the husband. What I'm saying is this. No husband should ever think that his job is to get his wife to submit. That's not what this is talking about. It's, It's never up to the husband to ensure that his wife submits. Uh, Nowhere in the Bible will you find that. Nowhere will you find the Bible telling husbands to make sure your wives submit to you. That's not the husband's job. (laughs) But having said all of that, uh, we need to see the beauty of biblical submission in marriage. This is about a wife getting behind her husband's leadership, supporting her husband's leadership, encouraging him in his leadership. Uh, This is about her not trying to out-compete not trying to undermine him or do her own thing, but a wife who is supportive, a wife who willingly embraces the leadership of her husband, is willing to follow his lead. Now, does that mean you have to defer every decision to him? Of course not. Think about what healthy leadership looks like. Does healthy leadership micromanage every detail? No, (laughs) and if it does then that leadership has a very big problem with control. Okay, now we're starting to get into the husband's role, aren't we? So let's do that. Let's talk about the husband. Uh, How are husbands supposed to lead? Well, look at verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That's it. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this instruction, very unique in the day. Uh, I I read a uh, a scholar who talked about some of the household codes from um, Roman culture uh, into which this letter was written. And in Roman culture, this scholar, he wrote this, no other code from that ancient world requires husbands to love their wives. No other code. (laughs) 
And he goes on to explain that the aim of the other codes was helping the, the husband to keep everyone in the home under his control. Uh, and so this directive uh, is countercultural. It was countercultural in that day. Husbands, love your wives. Wow, this is new. It's countercultural today, though. Because in our culture, when someone hears that you have to love someone, what does that mean? It's talking about how you feel towards someone. And in our culture, love is just something you feel and therefore it's something that you can unfeel, something that you can fall out of, which is why in our culture it's acceptable to say, yeah, I, don't, I fell out of love and therefore I feel no obligation in this relationship anymore. That's acceptable to say that in our culture. But that is completely contrary to what is this passage is talking about. Because the love that's spoken of here, the husband's love for the wife, it's not something you feel, it's something you do. It's about a commitment of the will to love even when you don't feel like it. See, what does this love look like? It looks like this. Look at Jesus, the love of Christ. Uh, Ephesians 5.25 unpacks this by talking about Christ loving his bride, the church, and giving himself up for her, sacrificing himself. That's the definition of love. That is what is being commanded of husbands here, to love your wives like that. That means sacrificing your own self-interests. That means giving up your life, giving up your ambitions, giving up your time, your hobbies, giving up your pursuits and putting your wife first, serving her first. That's what this is talking about. <clears throat> her needs are to be put ahead of your own. That's what it looks like to love your wife. And so, yes, husbands are leaders in the marriage, but that leadership is modelled on Christ's definition of leadership. It's actually modelled on Christ himself. And Christ, he is the servant leader who came not to be served. He didn't come to gather around people and say, okay, serve me, serve me. He came to serve. He poured himself out for us. And that's, that's to be the, the, the mark of a husband's love for his wife. See, this is how the gospel reshapes leadership. The gospel turns leadership upside down. You know when Jesus talks about um, not lording it over people like the Gentiles, but he, he talks about how he came, the Son of Man came into the world to serve, to give himself for many. And we see that the gospel, or knowing Christ, it actually reshapes leadership. So leadership's not used for our own interest. It's not used for, uh, for self-gain or for getting people to serve you, it's only used for the good of those you lead. And in the home, it's to be used for the good of your wife. Uh, <clears throat> now, imagine, women, <laughs> imagine what it would be like to be married to a husband who is constantly thinking to himself, how can I bless my wife? How can I serve her? See, husbands love your wives. Uh, for some of you today, some of you husbands, maybe taking this seriously will mean 
making changes. Making changes to the way you think about your life, your time, your spending, your pursuits, your hobbies. Maybe some changes need to happen. Uh, Maybe you need to think, where does my wife fit in all of this? Put her first. That's what you're being called to do. Now, again, like verse 18, we see that there's also a clause in this verse. And out of all the things Paul could have added, he, he adds this one thing, and do not be harsh with them. Now, why do you think Paul focuses on that? Most likely because that's what husbands struggle with, being harsh. Uh, This is really a test of whether you are loving your wife or not. Are you harsh with her? Are you quick to criticise? Are you quick to highlight mistakes and faults? Do you bring up past faults? The word harsh, it actually has in the original Greek word, it has the meaning of being bitter. Do you bring up past faults? See, you know, husbands are actually prone to having unrealistic expectations for their wives, selfish expectations, and when their wives don't meet those unrealistic, selfish expectations, bitterness creeps in. And how does that bitterness show itself? By being harsh, speaking harsh, treating harshly. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, when you look at these two roles together, okay, let's now look at them together, and that's the way the passage works. Do you see how complementary they are? Do you see how these two roles complement each other? A husband who leads his wife with her interests first and foremost. A wife who, who willingly embraces her husband's leadership. How does that work? That will be uh, peace, harmony. Uh, When a husband so loves his wife, she will delight in submitting to him. When a wife so submits to her husband, he will delight in loving her. That's the way God designed marriage to work. Christ came into the world to restore that order. And so for you to live out your life in Christ, if you're married, is to embrace this, is to practice this each day. So that's marriage. Okay, second, the passage addresses the family in verses 20 to 21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Okay, children, this, this is speaking to you, children. <laughs> uh, children, did you know that obeying mum and dad was not something that mum and dad made up? Something that God made up. And children, did you know that Jesus came into the world to save you from your rebellion and from your disobedience so that you can live for him? And here is one way you can do that. Obey your parents in everything. Children, do you know why you should do that? Because it makes Jesus happy. Do you see in the verse, in verse 20, it says, For this pleases the Lord. Children, you can make Jesus happy by obeying your parents. And children, when is it hardest to obey mum and dad? When is it hardest 
to obey. It's when mum and dad asks you to do something you don't want to do. See, at that point, this is where your faith in Jesus counts. This is where faith in Jesus comes into play. Well, at that point, will you remember what Jesus has done for you? And will you let that help you obey mum and dad? Now, parents, uh, the fact that children are called to obey you implies that there is an order in this relationship. In the parent-child relationship, there is an order. Uh, parents are in authority over children. And obedience to the authorities that God places in our lives is the godly thing to do. It pleases the Lord. Uh, that's, that's a lesson for all of us as well. Um, but what kind of authority are parents to exercise over children? Uh, well, in the instruction that follows in verse 21, underlying that is that the parent's authority is reordered by Christ himself again into this, a servant authority uh, whose rule is love, Christ himself, the servant leader whose rule is love. And that's why it says, fathers, do not provoke your children, <clears throat> lest they become discouraged. Now, you know, if you think about a relationship between a, a parent and a child, uh, especially a father, there's a huge imbalance of um, physical, emotional, and psychological strength. Okay, a massive imbalance, which means it's very easy uh, for parents, <clears throat> and fathers particularly, to harm uh, through carelessness, you know, careless words, careless actions. And so out of all the things that Paul could have said to parents, out of all the things, he just says this one thing, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And fathers are singled out. Why do you think that is? Probably for two reasons. One, fathers are leaders in the home. But secondly, this is addressed to fathers most likely because it's, it's fathers who are more prone to failing in this area. Don't provoke your children. What does that mean? What does it look like to provoke your children? Fathers, parents, are you prone to making harsh comments all the time? Are you prone to criticising do you find some delight in pointing out faults? Do you, do you rarely ever praise your children for the good things that they do? Do you mostly discipline out of anger or frustration? Do you expect perfection? Does it feel like your kids are being crushed under those unrealistic expectations? Do you have double standards? Do you have one set of rules for yourself and a completely different set for your children? Do you fail to admit your mistakes to them? Do you rarely ask for their forgiveness? See, all of these things, it's, it's to provoke. It will discourage them. It will dishearten them. The one thing your children need for you, parents, is that you would be like Jesus. Uh, that the way that you relate to your children, it's back in verse 12. Have a look at that verse where it says, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Do you know, we're going to run a parenting course in a few weeks' time, and so we're going to get into this uh, more then. Uh, it's one way of finishing a sermon, but, <laughs> but 
Today, parents, how do you become the parents that your children need you to be? How do you become a parent who, that when your kids see you, they see Christ in you? How do you become that? It's by knowing the true parent. It's by knowing the Father and knowing the way that he treats you in Christ. See, the gospel is that the Father's love for you, it's not conditioned on your perfection. It's not conditioned on you measuring up to a certain level. The Father's love of you, the Father's treatment of you is not based on your performance or on your perfection, but it's based on his performance and his perfection. Let that reorder your heart. The way the Father loves you, let that reorder your heart. And then let that shape the way you relate to your children. See, we can see in this passage, the coming of Christ brings order to our homes. Marriages are reordered by the gospel. Families are reordered by the gospel. And in many ways, this is actually the real test of life in Christ. This is how you know, are you living out your life in Christ? Here is the real test. It's at home. It's behind closed doors. It's away from the public eye. It's when your guard is let down. That's when you know where the Christ has gripped your heart. That's when you know when the gospel has sunk in. In those places can Christ be seen in you. And that is actually the application for everyone here today. Because I realise that a lot of you in this room are not married or you're not in a um, parent-child relationship uh, that, that this verse is talking about. However, this passage it shows us that Christ reorders homes. He reorders lives. He brings order to our hearts so that even behind closed doors, whether you are married or not, whether you have children or not, behind closed doors, who you really are reflects him. Christ wants to bring every part of our lives under his lordship. And just as Paul reminded children, that's what pleases the Lord. That's what makes Jesus happy. See, it pleases him to see the outworking of his, his work in your life. And that's what Colossians is all about. Christ came into the world to reconcile us, to reorder us. This is what it looks like. And this is something worth living for. It pleases the Lord. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, so much for uh, your love toward us. Uh, we thank you, Father, that you are love. That love originates with you. That it, it defines who you are and that, that we can experience you as the God of love uh, when we come uh, in faith in Jesus and we find that your love is never-ending, that we can never gr fully grasp the heights or the depths or, or the width of, of the love of Christ. And, and Father, we uh, see that, that that should be the model of, of the way that we interact in the home. Uh, and we confess, Father, that we fail in so many ways, just thinking about uh, times where we have spoken harsh words and all of us, Lord, can admit that there have been times, even this past week, where we've spoken without thinking, spoken out of anger and frustration, spoken out of selfishness or pride. 
And we pray that you would forgive us of that, Father. We pray that you would bring uh, healing and restoration uh, where there have been hurts. We pray, Father, that you would rebuild us from the inside out, that your love would, would truly shape us, Father, that we would be able to admit wrongs because we know that we're not trying to build our own righteousness, but resting in the righteousness of Christ. May that free us, Lord, to confess openly the times when we have failed, the times when we have uh, spoken or acted um, in the wrong way. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we would rejoice in the, these roles that you have given us as husbands, wives, as children, as parents, and that your grace would enable us to fulfil them, all for the pleasure of Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen.